life goes on in the forest and Duryodhana and Karna are very disappointed, their hunt is called off. So they come up with another plan. Duryodhana goes to his father and says, Father, I think it's time we count our cows. It's part of the pastoral societies because one of the greatest wealth that they have is their cattle. Millions of heads of cattle, the Kauravas have. So it can't be obviously kept in one place, it's all over. So once in a way, you have to go and count your cattle. How much wealth do you have? So, you know how the bull got into the stock market. <laughs> so cows and bulls, they have to go about counting because that's the stock. 
So, nobody had any objection for cow counting. So Duryodhana, Karna, Shakuni, Dushyasana, along with their wives and a whole retinue, they prepared cow counting picnic. <laughs> they all go camp somewhere, cow counting happens but the whole family is there and outing everything, work and pleasure. But of course they want to count cows closer to the forest because when Duryodhana was very frustrated that his father cancelled the hunt, Karna told him, see, they're already vanquished. We don't have to go and kill them. If you kill them, you will spare them the suffering. The best thing we can do is, when a man is defeated, the worst thing that can happen to him is, the victor, if he can get to strut around him, that is the worst thing, so let's go and strut around. Let's enjoy our victory, let them suffer their defeat. Let's just go visit them, you know, express our sympathies for them and let's enjoy it. Why go kill them? It looked like a good idea. So this is… that is why this cow counting was thought up and they went. So they camped in the forest, full retinue. They have uh, everything, cooks cooking and women are there, children are there, everything happening, music, things going on. It's a picnic come work. So they went and camped not very far from where the Pandavas were. Nakula, who was out in the forest, heard noises, came to the edge of the forest and looked at the Kaurava camp and he went back and reported. Immediately, Bhima and Arjuna picked up their arms and they said, they have come to harm us, they have not just come for fun. We have to be alert or the best thing is we take the offensive, that we go finish them first. Yudhishthira said, that is not our dharma. We have accepted that we will stay in the forest for twelve years, we will just do that. Our brothers might not have come to attack us, they have not done anything. Why should we assume that they will do this? So, this camp was going on. In the evening, a Gandharva, whose name was Chitrasena, came there with his retinue of people and a kind of altercation happened between the Kauravas and the Gandharvas. The Gandharvas disarmed the Kauravas in no time, bundled up Duryodhana, Karna, Dushyasana, Shakuni, except the women, all the soldiers, they killed a few soldiers, rest of them they all roped them up and put them down there like logs and kicking them around and making fun and eating their food. The news went to the Pandavas that this happened and immediately the four brothers burst out in celebration. This is it. I'm sure they came with an evil intent, they had something on their minds, they got it, it's good. But Yudhishthira said, this cannot be allowed, they are our brothers. Whoever the Gandharva, we must go and fight him, 
because they have shamed our brothers. Bhima was furious. You talking about shame, do you know what is shame in your life? Do you know what is shame? Do you have anything like that in you? You talking about shame, big arguments, but as an elder brother, he said no. He said, go and release the Kauravas, whoever the Gandharva, fight him. So they went and the fight ensued. Arjuna was like this. This is what Krishna is trying to say later on when he speaks Gita. Arjuna is pure action. Like the way Mahabharata describes his action is, when he went into his action, when the bow and arrow came into his hand, he's like a blur. They say he was like a blur. You couldn't see his… what his hands were doing. It was so fast and he was so perfect in that action. That is the only fulfillment he knew in his life, that when he starts using the arms, he is there. Otherwise, he is a quiet man. When Duryodhana, Dushyasana, Karna, Shakuni and many others, a few of the other brothers, everybody hands and legs bound, lying there, Gandharvas having fun, eating their food, kicking them around. They have no respect for the Kshatriyas because they don't belong to this land. Then Yudhishthira insisted that the brothers should go and save the Kauravas. So Arjuna set for battle with Gandharvas and got into action in such a way that Chitrasena was defeated and later on Chitrasena became Arjuna's music and dance teacher when he went to Indra's place and he gave him gifts and went away here because he lost the battle. And just before they went, this is one streak of something else in Yudhishthira. When he insisted they must go and fight and Bhima was resisting very vehemently, Arjuna also not willing to go, then Yudhishthira said, what great pleasure is there for a man than being magnanimous to his enemy? Go enjoy yourself, why are you guys resisting what I tell you? <laughs> then they suddenly realized, yes, this is a great chance, we going and liberating them is going to be good. And they went and then they cut their bounds loose and they looked at them and very magnanimous and nice to them. This was the most horrible moment for Duryodhana. After the Pandavas left, he cried bitterly and he said, I don't want to live anymore. I want to die. And he told Karna, and then he called Dushyasana and he said, Duryodhana turned emotionally to Dushyasana, my brother, go back to Hastinapura, become king in my place, rule wisely with Karna and Shakuni beside you. Always be a sanctuary to your friends and generous to your Brahmins. Mix justice with mercy when you judge a crime. There is no one better to teach you discernment 
Then our uncle Vidura, you go, I am not coming, I am done with this. With this shame that Pandavas had to come and release my ba my hands, bound and legs, they had to come and release me, I cannot live with this shame. Whatever they said, he refused to go back to Hastinapur. He asked all of them to leave and he stayed back alone on the bank of a lake, just sat there like a madman. Then he decided he wants to leave his body and whatever little sadhana he had learnt, he crossed his legs and sat down praying. After a few days and he lost, you know his body started decimating, then a demon appeared. She was… As, she was taller than the palm trees. She came and said in a booming voice, Narakas… Narakasura's spirit has entered Karna, so you don't bother. Whichever way, one day Karna will kill Arjun. Once he heard this, suddenly enthusiasm to live came back in him. He sent word for people and then he went back to Hastinapur. It was more than a month that he remained there like a wild animal, not knowing what to do, raging around in the forest, screaming, yelling, wanting to die, not knowing how. When they were in Indraprastha, a situation happened. Yudhishthira was the king and there were four brothers assisting him and creating a very able and even rule. One day when Arjuna was outside, unarmed, a brahmana came screaming and said, thieves came and stole my calves, please do something. It is the duty of a kshatriya to protect a citizen like… helpless citizen like me. Immediately, Arjuna ran into the palace to pick up his bow and arrow his bow and the sheath of arrows that he had kept. He could not find it in its usual place, so he ran all over looking for it. And outside the brahmana was wailing, before you come, the time that you're taking, before you come the thieves will be gone and I'll lose my cows, what kind of kings are you, you can't protect ordinary citizens and all this stuff. So in that rush, he rushed into Draupati's chambers and he found Yudhishthira and Draupati together. And uh, he looked away, picked up his bow and arrow and ran out and got the cows for the brahmana, came back and he said, as the arrangement was, I have broken it, I'm going away. So he went away for a year in exile. In his exile, it's self-imposed, Yudhishthira said it's not necessary, you did not do it intentionally, it doesn't matter, I will pardon that, it's not needed. But Arjuna said, no, I… We, all of us have taken this, I will go. And one year he went away from the kingdom and in… you know, like a wandering mendicant, he just wandered alone across the country. He traveled across, he came to South India, went back up Gujarat and back. So along the way, many things happened. One thing is, wherever he went, as a man, he was like a perfect man, a fine figure of a man. And his reputation as an archer and a warrior 
is just across the lands. If you say Arjuna, it fires that this is the man, that kind of image is there. When first he went north into the Himalayan region and he met a Naga princess called Ulupi and she bore a child for him whose name was Iravan. Then he went towards the east, what is today Manipur, Nagaland, that region. There he had heard of a princess, a warrior princess who had taken to martial ways. He had heard about her whose name was Chitrangada and he wanted to see her and even before he saw her, he was kind of in love with her because he had heard so much about her skills in the battlefield. But when Chitrangada heard that Arjuna is coming that way, she felt the way she is, that she is muscular and she is a warrior. She is not like how a woman should be. She has never seen Arjuna and she thought Arjuna must be used to seeing the most beautiful woman, but I am like this. And she prayed to Shiva and asked, make me beautiful, I don't want to look like this when he comes. So she was transformed into a beautiful person. Arjuna came, looked at her, when they said, this is Chitrangada, he was not interested in one more beautiful woman and he left. Because he came looking for a warrior. And then she realized the mistake that she has done and asked Shiva, give me back my original form. And then she went to him and then she said, I am not beautifully perfect as the flowers with which I worship. I have many flaws and blemishes. I am a traveler in the great world path. My garment is dirty, my feet bleed of thorn. Where should I achieve flower-like beauty, unsullied loveliness of moment's life? The gift that I proudly bring is the heart of a woman. Here have all the pains and joys gathered, the hopes and fears, the shames of a daughter of the dust. Here love springs up, struggling towards immortal life. Here lies an imperfection that is yet noble and grand. So he fell in love with her and he had a son with her whose name was Babruvahana. This is important because all the sons come back later when he has to fight a battle. And then he came south, went up, by now he had long dreadlocks and he looked like a mendicant. He went towards Dwaraka and stayed in Prabhasa. He sent word to Krishna and Krishna came to see him. And Arjuna was staying in a cave in Prabhasa. And they kind of bonded and they spent some time together and his one year was coming to an end in a month, month and a half, he has to go back to Indraprastha. Krishna's sister, Subhadra, was in love with Arjuna without having ever seen him. But Balarama, Krishna's brother, had promised Duryodhana, 
who was his disciple in mace fighting. Balarama was the teacher of mace fighting for Bhima and Duryodhana and Duryodhana was his favorite disciple, not Bhima. So he promised Subhadra in marriage to Duryodhana. But Krishna did not want Subhadra to be married to Duryodhana then because it'll become difficult tomorrow when the battle comes, that your sister is married, that obligation will stop you from doing many things that you need to do. So he kind of kindled this further and he told Subhadra to fall sick and she promptly fell sick. <laughs> Young women are able to do that. On his request, she fell sick. Devaki got very worried that the girl is sick and seems to be struggling. Then Krishna suggested, let us go and worship at this particular temple in Prabhasa, so that she will be relieved. If you worship Shiva in this temple, any ailment that a young girl gets can be relieved. So the whole family traveled to Prabhasa, made sure the route is where Arjuna was in the cave. And Arjuna saw Subhadra and uh, he was quick on this and instantly fell, un fell in love. This happened and Balarama noticed a mendicant in the cave. Balarama is a huge man, muscular, a great fighter, a just man. But the brawn that he built in his body kind of little bit grew into his skull also. So he's not the sharpest one, so he always depends on Krishna for any intelligence decisions to happen and above all, he bows down to Krishna as an avatar, he doesn't see him just as a brother. But still, here and there he has the authority of being an elder brother. So, he saw this mendicant and he did not recognize Arjuna because he had grown dead dreadlocks and bearded and sitting there in meditation. So Balaram bowed down to Arjuna and wanted to know where he's from and make some arrangements for his well-being. And then he said, instead of being here, which is a wild place and difficult to get food and stuff, come and stay in my palace, I'll make an arrangement for you where you can continue your meditation, whatever. Krishna was standing there and he indicated to Arjuna, yes, you better do it. So Arjuna moved into Balaram's palace and in the proximity of Subhadra and things happened. And one day Krishna said, you know, the time is coming, some date is fixed for Duryodhana's wedding to happen with Subhadra. He said, before that you better elope, otherwise there'll be disaster for you. So Arjuna and Subhadra eloped. And at that time, Subhadra took the reins of the chariot and Balarama gave a fight. When he came to know this mendicant is a false mendicant and he's taking away the girl, they chased him. But Subhadra was charioting. Then Krishna said, why are you fighting? The girl is going of her own will. 
she's not being abducted for you to fight. She is going of her own will, you have no business, it's not in the dharma <laughs> to attack them because she is not being forcefully taken, she is going by herself. So Balarama got furious, he knew this whole thing is Krishna's design. His favorite disciple Duryodhana, he loved Duryodhana very much right through, right till the very end. He always sided with Duryodhana, but because Krishna was on this side, he couldn't do anything and he just went away from situations rather than participating in situations. So, he gathered three wives and with Subhadra, Subhadra he took her back to Indraprastha. But Draupadi had put a rule that you can marry as many as you want outside, but nobody comes into this palace. But this is a different case, this is Krishna's sister. So, Arjuna did not know how to face Draupadi after one year to come back home with a new wife. So he sent her by herself. She went like a milkmaid and pleased Draupadi in many ways. And Draupadi said, and she expressed that she is in danger, that there are people wanting to hurt her. She said, don't you worry, you will always be under my care, you stay here in the palace. After that it was revealed to her that she is married to Arjuna. And when she came to know it is Krishna's sister, she kind of quelled her stuff. So why I'm saying this is, Arjuna was considered as, in terms of masculinity, in terms of being macho, Bhima is a different kind, Bhima is a huge man, you know. He's… he's not… he's also very, very masculine and big and everything but too big. <laughs> he's not the hero kind, <laughs> he's the hero's assistant kind, you know <laughs> So, Arjuna was that kind of personality. Here. There's a little poem, Arjuna. Arjuna, unwavering aim turns into your main game. The quiet warrior, a deadly force, strong of body and mind, weak of vanity and whim, enjoined with a god becomes destiny's tool, but nobody's fool. A man, a man, all man. They see that they begin to have too many guests in the forest dwelling. Everybody came to know there is food and there are Pandavas, so people started vis visiting in big numbers. So they felt this is not even feeling like a jungle, this is looking like an ill-equipped palace. So they decided to move further into the jungle. They moved to another forest called Dvaitavana, which was on the bank, on the… in the… between the rivers of uh, Yamuna and Saraswati, an extraordinarily beautiful place, totally free from civilization, a real forest. Living in a forest close to the Isha Yoga Center is nice because uh, suppose you want uh, a certain kind of arrangement, you can come and go back, 
Suppose one day you want to sleep on a bed, you can do that. Suppose one day you don't want to do a very scenic toilet and you want to use a brick and mortar toilet, you can come. Once you have that little option, it's nice. But when you go really deep into the jungle, it's a different experience. I don't know how many of you have been in situations like that. Even today, if… if I look back on my life, among the physical experiences of my life, I'm trying to separate the two. If I look back, the biggest experience for me has always been this. For twenty-two days, I walked from Gopal Swami Betta to Nagarhole, which is a thick forest belt in Karnataka, which is elephant country and tiger country. I walked alone. Friends were supposed to come with me. They always abandon you at the last moment. They… they make plans and they make plans and they make plans and the last day, they'll have something. This happened to me too many times. So, uh, on fourth day I ran out of food. I continued to trek, living off the forest. And by about seventh, eighth day, my shirt was gone, half of it. It's just in one of the bushes, it just tore and… Uh, I just walked. Some days it rained, elephants all over the place. Tigers, I did not, you know, visually see, but when I sat on trees near water holes, I knew they were swimming in the water, they were grunting and they were doing things. It was too dark and misty for me to see. So I walked twenty-two days alone by myself. No, not even a matchbox, my matchbox went away with rain and no torch, nothing, just like that, just living off the forest. And you would think, oh, elephants must have been great close-up, wild elephants, tigers. I knew on one day when I was near the water hole, there were four of them. I can vaguely see them, but I can't see them. <laughs> Too misty. You would think that, but no. The biggest experience of being in the jungle is the insects. Once the light goes down, wham, it'll start. Oh my God, it's something else. You won't believe it. Western gods, if you just stay there completely away, no lights, nothing, if you just stay by yourself, the insect population, oof, and it'll be going on like this, at that given moment, chuck, it'll stop and somebody else will start off. Another kind of… really, every day exactly at that time, their watches are better than ours. <laughs> and when I came out, this whole insect thing was the biggest experience. Not the tigers, not the bears, not the elephants, not the mountains, not the trees, it's the insects. And you know, then I got interested in insects and I started reading in this thing and that's when I saw, if insect population disappears tomorrow morning from the planet, this planet has only something like fifteen to twenty years of life left. All life on this planet, including micro life, will disappear if there are no insects. The worms are even more important. 
If worms go away, within eight years' time, life on this planet will end. But if you and me all disappear, human beings disappear, the planet will do great. <laughs> so, they moved into a much thicker range. Once they moved into a much thicker range, once the little comfort of people coming every day and bringing this and that, they're bringing gifts, they're doing things, some support was there, once that went away, Draupati went into a depression. She went into a period of depression and when she goes into depression, you better not be around <laughs> because she will make sure everybody is in a deeper pit than herself. And she gave hell to Yudhishthira. She taunted him, she abused him, she… she really harassed him in every possible way. And whatever she does, Bhima will reverberate with the same thing and he also added. <laughs> she kind of in many ways, continuously along the way, she had Bhima around her little finger. Whenever she wanted something done, and she knows Yudhishthira won't do it and the other brothers won't do it without his permission. The other brothers are made in such a way that unless Yudhishthira says so, they won't take a single step in anything. That's their vow. But Bhima is so fond of her that he will discard the instructions and do something for her always. Many times this put all the five or six into great risk but uh, Whenever it was needed, she acted and it worked out in the end, that's different. So Bhima and the Draupadi started working on Yudhishthira. Yudhishthira just kept quiet. <laughs> there were not too many pots and pans for her to throw. <laughs> Life went on. They were trying to make Yudhishthira despondent. They wanted him to get somehow angry and gather an army and ride on Hastinapur. Yudhishthira said, no matter what, if this is the way you feel, even if it comes to that, that you will leave me and go, I will not break my word. I said I will go for twelve years and I go for twelve years, that's all. So that kind of settled it and she worked herself out of depression. And many, many, many incidents happened in these twelve years. One of the most important thing was, after about six years of living in the forest, Arjuna decided that he will go out and equip himself for the coming war. Because they had no illusions, except Yudhishthira who still had trust in the Kauravas. They had no illusions that it'll anyway come to war. They know when they get back, Duryodhana will not keep his word, Duryodhana will not give back what he's supposed to give back to them. So Arjuna said, I want to go and do sadhana to acquire astras. Astras means empowered weaponry or empowered arrows, more like that, more like arrows, empowered with certain occult powers that against which there will be very little opposition. So he went acquiring astras, he worshipped Varuna and got Varunastra. 
and various other gods and sages he met and got, got blessings and astras like this, he went about gathering from place to place. But his aim was to get Pashupatastra from Shiva himself. So he went into Himalayas and prayed for Shiva, trying to please Shiva, he sat in meditation. After many days of sitting, he was very hungry and he heard the grunt of a wild boar. He opened his eyes and he saw a boar. So he picked up his bow and arrow and effortlessly shot the boar. And then he got up and went close to the boar. To his amazement, he saw there were two arrows. Who shot the other arrow? Then a tribal man came along with his tribal wife and he said, Who are you, sitting here like a sage but carrying a bow and arrow? This doesn't make sense. Anyway, I shot this bow first. Look at this, this is my arrow. It is my arrow which has gone into the heart of the boar, this is mine. Arjuna said, how dare you even… He has… Arjuna has this problem that he is high-born, he is a kshatriya and he believes he is the greatest archer. This vanity was a big problem. This was one big problem within himself always that always he thinks he's better than everybody else. In case he sees somebody better than him, you saw what happened to Ekalavya. So, this is his worst streak in him. Everything else is absolutely noble in this man, but this is his worst streak. Nobody should be better than him. He's competitive. If somebody is better than him, he will somehow want to get better even if it has to be removal of a thumb for somebody else or even a head. Now he got into a kind of a altercation with this man and they said, let's duel. He tried to duel with him, got nowhere. Then they decided to wrestle. They wrestled 
and the tribal man was more than a match for him and got him down. Then not knowing what to do, whatever he got hold of, he tried to throw that at him. In that effort, he plucked a flowering plant and threw it at him. It went and hit the tribal person and he kind of receded. Then he knew if he comes back again, he has nothing to defend himself. Then he was worshipping a linga and doing his sadhana. He bowed down to the linga and said, Give me strength, Mahadeva, after all I'm sitting here in anticipation of you. And who is this wild man from the forest comes and he's putting me to shame. And he put a flower on the linga and turned back and he saw that flower was on top of the tribal's head. Then he knew who it is and he fell down at his feet and Shiva came back in his form, pleased with him and gave him the Pashupatastra. This Pashupatastra is the most powerful weapon of the day. With this, he knew he could win the war. And at that same time, Indira, his father came. Here there is some fantastic description of a spacecraft which is unbelievable. They're describing it just like as we have seen in the Hollywood movies and the description is five thousand years old. Then Indra says, come in my craft and takes Arjuna in his craft and take to, takes him to his place which is Amaravati and he spends time there. This whole period from the time he left his brothers and this sadhana that he did, he got astras from Varuna, Yama, Shiva and now he's with his father. He was very, very happy for the first time to spend a little time with his father and his father was very proud of who he is and they spent time together, they fought battles together and after a certain amount of time he was to return. There was an apsara in Indra's uh, kingdom, her name is Urvashi. They are not human, they are… they are known as devas. An apsara is the female version of the deva there. And she was… she is generally described in the Indian literature as the most beautiful feminine thing anywhere in creation. So, there is a history. We were talking about Urvashi way back when Pururava was the emperor. You know that woman who had goats as pet and she put a condition on the emperor. So that is Urvashi who came down with a certain purpose and was the wife of King Pururava, who was… who in the lineage, in a way, is a forefather of Arjuna. And Urvashi saw Arjuna and she desired him and she came to him as a woman. Arjuna bowed down to her and he said, as beautiful as you are, I see you as my mother because you are Pururava's wife. So, I cannot see you as a woman, I see you as my mother. She got insulted by this. She said, these morals that you're talking about is for the humans. I am not a human being, so it doesn't matter. But he says, I am human, so it matters to me. And I bow down to you as a mother. She got insulted by this and she cursed him. May you become a enuk because I have come to you as a woman, as a man, 
you have refused me, so you become a Yanuk. So, in Arjuna was heartbroken, the Masho Masho man cursed to be a Yanuk. Then he went to Indra and pleaded. By then, he stayed there, for the period that he stayed there, Indra asked him to learn dance and music because Gandharvas were the best dancers and musicians. So he got himself a teacher called Chitrasena who taught him dance and music. And initially he thought, I am a warrior, why should I learn dance and music? Indra told him, someday it will be useful for you. There is nothing wrong in learning dance and music and you will be a better warrior with a song in your heart and little dance in your feet. So Arjuna became an accomplished dancer and singer in the, in the meantime and he was completely distressed when he went to Indra. Indra pleaded with Urvashi and she reduced the curse to one year. Okay, for one year you be a Enoch. Now the twelve-year period was coming to a close and Arjuna is yet to come back. By now the four brothers were little distressed. They have no news of him for over five years now. So they came in search of him, the whole family, up to Himalayas and stayed in a hermitage in Himalayas, waiting for Arjuna or to hear some news about him. Then certain sages who came back from Indra's Amaravati, this sage who was known as Lomasa, who came back and this place is what is now called as Badrinath. In this place, they waited and Lomasa came and said, Arjuna will be coming back shortly and his purpose of going there has been fulfilled and he will be coming back. So in anticipation, they were here and one day Draupadi and Bhima took a walk and as they walked in the forest, the forest was so beautiful, those of you who have been to Badrinath, you would find that drive from Govindgarh to Badrinath is one of the most incredible drives on the planet. Of all the places that you can drive in, it is one of the most incredible drives that you can have. And uh, in that region, they took a walk and Draupati saw a flower which is called a Saugandika. These days this flower is being referred to as Brahma Kamalam. Many of you when you went on the Himalayan trek, you might have seen this. When she saw this, she was so excited as she had never seen a flower like this, she went about plucking a few and she saw that it was getting late in the evening and there were more flowers further but she could not go and they returned. Next day, Bhima went out to get flowers for her and in his enthusiasm, he went deep into the forest. And in the forest, there is a whole situation of the yakshas, the king of yaksha, the kubera. Why I'm saying all these things is because all these people will play small, small roles later on. But uh, leaving that aside, one important incident happened. These twelve years, going to the forest is always a symbolism in this country. There is a metaphor attached to this, going to the forest means it's always seen as a place of learning. What you cannot learn in a city, what you cannot learn in a university, you learn in a forest. 
So whether it's Ramayana or Mahabharata or wherever, always going to the forest is an, an enduring theme because without going to the forest, you don't really learn the ways of life. So, uh, walking in the forest, Bhima saw a monkey, an old monkey, a ripe old monkey sitting, who had an extremely long tail and it was in his way. And Bhima is a proud man, if he comes, everybody has to make way. And in these twelve years, after this incident, whatever the shame that has happened to them, He's become an angry man also. Earlier he was a very bubbly, happy man, but now he's also an angry man. A proud man and an angry man together is a stupid man. Yes, dangerous for others and dangerous for himself. So he came and he saw this monkey's tail and he kind of felt insulted. Why is this monkey putting its tail in his way? He said, hey monkey, take the tail away. Because in India, people don't cross others' limbs. You know, if somebody is sitting or lying down, you never cross their limbs. It is inauspicious, it is not only inauspicious, scientifically if you look at it, it's an incorrect thing to do for many reasons. We won't go into that now. So, you will see people who are a little traditional, they'll never cross the limb of another person. If they're sitting, standing, always they'll go around. Lot of you are doing it by habit because your mothers and fathers have done it. Do you see that? You may not know why, but you don't cross. People who have grown up in India generally do not cross anybody's limbs. So he said, why this tail? Pull it, I want to go. The monkey said, I'm so old, I don't have the strength to lift my tail. Why don't you do it for me? Then, he said, okay, and he put his hand down and tried to lift, he didn't come. He put his both hands down and really did, it wouldn't move. Then he couldn't believe it. This man is proud of his strength. He thinks he is the strongest man on the planet. Empowered with the Naga elixir and everything, he's always built his muscle, built his muscle, built his muscle. Now when he can't lift the tail of an old monkey, this is an insult he can't take. He really tried very hard, he could not lift this. Then he went down on his knees and said, who are you? If I can't lift this tail, you are not just a monkey, who are you? Then the monkey revealed that it was Hanuman from the Ramayana time. In Ramayana is actually a part of Mahabharata, it is only much later Valmiki separated that story as a completely separate epic by itself. Otherwise, Ramayana was a part of Mahabharata. It was one long epic. Valmiki separated and made a separate event for Rama separately. Otherwise, he would be lost in the intrigue of Krishna, the simplicity of Rama. <coughs> then Hanuman told him, how much ever strength you have, if you don't have humility and devotion, you will fall. You get this fast. So these two lessons, both for Arjuna and for Bhima, is kind of set up for them. Because this is what they lacked. Everything else they are good, but they are little proud of who they are. They think nobody can beat them and they can… they think they can do anything. 
Krishna is constantly reminding them. Even when it comes to the battlefield, ultimately the reminder is just this, it doesn't matter who you are. People who are standing on the other side are not idiots, they are also capable. Do not be in pride, you will kill yourself. He repeatedly tells Arjuna, it is not the enemy's arrows which will kill you, it is your pride that will kill you one day. If you don't shed that, you will die an unfortunate death. So this thing, humiliation with Shiva and humiliation with Hanuman are set up in such a way that these two people get rid of this one flaw in them so that they become perfect for the action that is being planned for them. On a certain day, when the Pandavas were in the forest and they were out hunting, they were a little thirsty and tired. At that time, a brahmana came running to them and said that for his worship he had kept some sacred grass and he had hung it for drying and a male deer, a buck, passed that way and this whole thing got caught in its antlers and it ran away into the forest. He requested the Pandavas, pleadingly he said, please somehow get these sacred objects for me because it's time for my worship, I don't want to miss this worship. Somehow please do this, you are supposed to be Brave Kshatriyas, you must help me. Come brothers, let's help this Rishi. Bhima, Nakula, go in that direction. Arjuna, Sahadeva, head in this direction. Rahaspati! The deer is disappearing! Disappearing! It seems like an illusion! Illusion! An illusion. Keep looking. I'll join you shortly. Rishi, wait here. We'll be back with the deer. Bhima! Nakula! Arjuna! Sadeva! Arjuna! Bhima! Anna, it all appears strange. Where's the Rishimuni? Where's the deer? Yes, it's mysterious. Yes, Anna, we're exhausted. We've looked for the deer everywhere. My throat is parched. If only we had some water. Nakula, go look for some water. As you say, Anna. Don't drink from this water before you answer my questions. Not before answering my questions. It's all an illusion. Let me quench my thirst. Ah! Where is Nakula? It's been a while, he's gone. 
Sahadeva, go look for Nakula immediately. All right, Pratashri. Nakula. 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 Ah, water. Wait. Do not drink from this water before answering my questions. Not before answering my questions. Let me quench my thirst first. Then I shall answer your questions. Ah! Anna! Even Sahadeva has not returned. I sense that our brothers are in danger. Bhima, Arjuna, go look for them. Take your Gandiva and mace. Nakula! Sahadeva! Nakula! Sahadeva! Arjuna! Water! Wait. Do not drink from this water before answering my questions. Who are you? Show yourself! Leave it, Arjuna. Let's drink the water. None of them are back. There is surely danger. Let me go look. Bima! Arjuna! Nakula! Sadeva! Drink the water before answering my questions. Who are you? Where are you? Show yourself. Who are you? Are you Rudra? Amarat? Arvasu? You must be strong to put these powerful brothers of mine down. Your feet. It's remarkable. Who are you? This pond belongs to me. Your brothers died because they drank from its waters before answering my questions. Do you wish to suffer the same fate? Nachaham karnaye yaksha tava purva parigraham Yata pragnam tute prashnam prativakshayami prachamam. 
I do not wish to take what does not belong to me. Ask me your questions and I'll answer as best as I can. What is more important than the earth itself? One's mother. What is higher than heaven? One's father. What is swifter than the wind? The mind. More numerous than the blades of grass? The thoughts in the mind. What is the highest sanctuary of dharma? Liberality. What is the highest sanctuary of fame? A gift. Of heaven? The truth. What is the most praiseworthy thing of all? Skill. The most valuable possession? Knowledge. The greatest treasure? Health. The greatest happiness? Contentment. What is the highest dharma? To injure none of the living. What must be controlled? The mind. What renounce to make a man agreeable? Pride. What renounce to make a man wealthy? Desire. And what can be renounced without regret? Anger. And what may be relinquished to gain happiness? Greed. What makes the way? The good make the way. Indeed, they are the way. Who is the ascetic? He who remains faithful. What is true restraint? That of the mind. And what is true forgiveness? He who endures enmity truly forgives. What is real knowledge? The knowledge of God. What is tranquility? When the heart is still. What is mercy? When one desires the happiness of all creatures. What is simplicity? When the heart is tranquil. What is the invincible enemy? Anger. What disease has no cure? Covetousness. What is the honest man? He who desires the happiness of all the living. And the dishonest one? The one who has no mercy. What is ignorance? Not knowing one's dharma. What is pride? When a man thinks that he is the one who is the doer of life. What is grief? Only ignorance. How does a man become patient? By subduing his senses. Which is the true ablution? When the heart is washed clean. What is charity? Protecting all creatures. What is wickedness? Speaking ill of others. How is a man agreeable? When he speaks agreeably. How does he get what he wants? When he acts with discernment. And how does he find bliss in the next world? By being virtuous in this one. Who is the real man? Word of one's good deeds reach heaven and are spread from there across the earth. As long as that word lasts, one is called a man. Who is the Yudhisthira who has every kind of wealth? Only he to whom joy and sorrow, fortune and misfortune, past and future are all the same. Yudhisthira, you are the wisest man in the world and the most righteous one too. I grant you a boon. Ask me for the life of any one of your brothers. Give me Nakula. I am surprised. I know Bhima is dearest to you among all your brothers. You depend on Arjuna to win the war that's coming. Yet you choose Nakula's life over others. Why? Yaksha, I have two mothers, Kunti and Madhuri. I, the son of Kunti, am alive. Surely, 
a son of Mathuri, should also live. <laughs> ah, you are a great soul indeed, Yudhishthira. I will never look upon another like you in all time. I grant you not just Nakula's life, but the lives of all your brothers. Brothers went one after another. Every one of them fell unconscious, assumed dead. And the Yaksha was Dharma, who was… who is Yudhishthira's father. And the significant thing that we need to notice was when the Yaksha asked, what is the most amazing thing? Yudhishthira said, the most amazing thing is, though humans are mortal, everybody goes about their life as if they're going to be here forever <laughs> Everybody's going to die, but somehow it's so amazing that everybody walks around as if it doesn't… death doesn't exist for them. That's the most amazing thing, isn't it? So, the significant aspect of this encounter with Yaksha is when Yudhishthira fell into the temptation of putting his brothers on the stake when they were playing the game of dice, he put Nakula and Sahadeva first, who are his stepbrothers. Somewhere in his mind, he was ready to lose them, not his own brothers. Living in the forest, that's the difference it made for him. That here, when it came to saving their lives, he chose Nakula. He said, one of Kunti's sons, it is me, I'm here, one of Madri's sons also should live. So that wisdom blossomed in him living in the forest, that is the main thing this story, this incident is trying to convey. How each one of them, they transform themselves by living in the forest. So forest or these twelve years of forest is not a curse. It made them into much better human beings to later on become much better kings. 
because this is all Krishna's game plan, the essential message is, this is also part of Mahabharat, but now it's been separated because the story was too long. There is a story of Ashtavakra. So Ashtavakra's father was a scholar in the king's court and one day, Uh, he was reading and practicing the scripture as to how to interpret it and his wife was pregnant. And as he made interpretations, somebody said, that's not it, no, you're wrong. He looked around, who is that? Nobody. Again he said something about the scripture, once again a voice said, no you're wrong. Then he asked, who is it? Then the wife said, it is my son in my womb who is speaking, listen. Then how dare you, not yet born, you're telling me I'm wrong already. <laughs> you can say that when you become eighteen. <laughs> Not yet born, already saying I'm wrong, how dare you, said. So the child from inside said, see the, you, whatever you said, this, this, this is absolutely wrong, you haven't gotten the scriptures. A great scholar, an unborn child telling him you haven't gotten the scriptures, so angered him. He cursed him, may you be born with eight form of deformities. So, eight types of deformities, he became a hunchback, he became twisted out in his body in such a way that he was hardly human in his appearance. But the child was born and he was a brilliant, enlightened being. And with… by the time he was eight, he found acceptance from the king. This was King Janaka's court. Janaka is the father of Sita, that is Rama's wife. Her father, Janaka, had a great aspiration to become enlightened. So all the time, anywhere anybody knowledgeable means he wants to listen them out. So he acquired… he accumulated a huge number of scholars, but nobody could see him through. At the age of eight, Astavakra so impressed him, that Janaka decided to become Ashtavakra's disciple. Ashtavakra told him, this is not the place to teach you. He said, anything, please, wearing king's robes and crown and everything in the glory of the palace, he said, teach me anything, I'm willing to do anything. Then Ashtavakra said, the ambience is not right. You are a king here, with all these things you will not understand what I have to say. And Astavakra withdrew into the forest and he said, after a certain period of time you come looking for me, we'll see. King Janaka, in great seeking, went after Astavakra searching in the forest. And then 
After much search, he found Ashtavakra sitting under a tree. Janaka was sitting on a horse, so he wanted to get down and bow down to Ashtavakra. He took one leg off the stirrup and raised it in that position. Ashtavakra said, stop. So Janaka, one leg in this stirrup, another leg up there, he stopped right there. He said, just stop. He made them stay, he just stopped him right there. In that position, he got enlightened. This is the first Zen, eight thousand, nine thousand years ago. This is the first act of Zen. So, just he caught him by surprise and broke whatever is stopping him from knowing that. So he just caught him in that uncomfortable position. In the comfort of being a king, he wouldn't… what he wouldn't have gotten. In the discomfort of that position, he got it. So, this story of Yaksha is essentially trying to get that message across that in the comfort of the kingdom, in the comfort of the palace, what they would have missed, by going to the forest, they acquired that and they became much better men, each one of them facing these different situations. Yudhishthira with the Yaksha, Arjuna with Shiva, Bhima with, uh, you know, uh, Hanuman, all these incidents and many more like this which happened, essentially made them come out with much more wisdom, balance, unprejudiced approach to life. Sadhguru, um, I have read that after this incident, uh, where Yudhishthira answered these questions beautifully, that Draupadi changed her perspective on her husband and that before this Arjuna was her favorite husband and somehow she saw Yudhishthira in a new light. Can you talk a little bit about that? She definitely valued him a little more because he brought Arjuna back to life. But her bias in favor of Arjuna never really changed. Maybe yielded a little more because she essentially married Arjuna. The others came, you know, one plus two kind. <laughs> you buy one, you get one free. <laughs> Unfortunately, it happened that way. Uh, but her… essentially she married only Arjuna. And all along, when she discovered, or it is not that she discovered, though you know it, it gets rubbed into you in so many ways as life goes by, is that Arjuna, though he's a phenomenal human being by himself, without his brother's instructions, he won't take an extra breath, he's that obedient that obedience always angered her. After this incident, it kind of lowered a few percentage points because one thing is he brought them back to life, another thing is he exhibited a different dimension of intelligence which none of others had. It doesn't matter what may impress you in the beginning, ultimately, it is the intelligence which wins over in life, isn't it? Isn't it so? 
In initial phases, so many things may matter, but ultimately, how intelligently a situation evolves around you is what really matters for a human being, because that is the nature of the creator. A flower is blossoming, it may be beautiful, but look at the intelligence of it. It knows when to blossom, what to do, how much to throw out, what not to do, everything. It never takes instructions from anybody, everything is known, isn't it? You can see the beauty, you can write poems on it, you can sing about it, you can dance around it, but the real thing is the intelligence behind it, isn't it? So, because that is the nature of the creator, that is the nature of every creature too. Because of that, it doesn't matter on the surface what impresses you. Ultimately, it is the fundamental intelligence of the existence, the creation and the creator which really grabs your attention in the end. If you start in the beginning itself, you would be better off in the end. Otherwise, you will spend life in distractions, not in fulfilling the dimension of who you are. I just want to ask, is there any significance to the duration of the exile? Because you also mentioned that Pandas were exiled for twelve days and Ram was also exiled for twelve days. Hi. I had a little, you know, somebody took a picture of this poster and sent it to me long back. I had it with me for a very long time and somewhere in all these travels it got lost. When, I, when the first twelve years of teaching and doing this, when I lived the gypsy life completely, uh, I lost that thing. I had it with me for a long time. This poster was something that was stuck somewhere in California, I don't know where, most probably San Francisco. Somebody took a picture of that and sent it to me. The poster was saying, if you go to… In, you know, the poster says enlightenment on the top, if you go to India, it will take twelve years. Here they got some kind of a shop and uh, they're saying here, thirty minutes, twenty-five dollars. Because uh, that was new at that time, wear headphones and wear some glasses, some psychedelic experiences given to you with sounds and visuals and you're enlightened. And the enlightened machine… enlightenment machines, now after so many years, some ashrams in India are using them. So… <laughs> So you know, at one time what was being referred to as fast food is now being referred to as junk food. It took a while for people to realize what is fast is junk. It took some time. So it took some time for people to realize fast food means it gets you fast to the grave. Twelve years is because that is the solar cycle. If anything has to happen in a man, significant, it takes twelve years. Particularly men, but this is true of women also, but it's little milder 
in the woman to notice. It's on a minor scale, but in a man it's much more. That every twelve to twelve and a half years, everybody's li life cycle… life goes through a certain cycle because the solar cycles are happening and it has that much influence in your physiology, in your mind, in your emotion, in your energy, everything and your life situations itself. Every twelve to twelve and a half years, everybody's life is going through a certain cycle and they don't notice it because it's twelve years' time, they're not aware enough to notice what's happening. With my life, it's one hundred percent clear, I know when the twelve year is coming, we are just in the cusp of those twelve years now. And Mahabharat, just at the right time, this twelve-year cycle for us. <laughs> and uh, because of this, all sadhana was structured around twelve years. Because if anything significant has to happen, you have to ride one cycle. That is when you arrive at a different place altogether. So twelve-year cycles of sadhana, anywhere you go to your guru means twelve years. Go to the forest, it is only now people are trying to understand or understanding going to the forest is a punishment. Going to the forest is not a punishment, going to the forest is a learning. So it's again twelve years. So little more than twelve years, just to ensure you didn't miss the cycle. So for this, it is twelve years plus one more year, thirteen years, making sure you get the point. I wonder how Shukni was made minister. Huh? Shukni was made minister when Nishma uh, should have known that I killed his brother's father and he would take the revenge. So you need to understand, when you are in an administration of managing a kingdom, not… not just a kingdom, any large administration, not everything happens the way you want it because you have to keep everybody together to move in a particular direction. If you try to enforce what you think is right all the time, people will put brakes on you, you will not go anywhere. You need to allow a certain amount of room. If somebody goes too off, you can fix it, but you have to allow a little bit of wobbling around. People do wobble and above all, when the prince, who could be the king tomorrow, he wants his friend to be the minister, not necessarily appointed, he's his advisor, he's his personal advisor, he lives in his palace, nobody can stop that. Duryodhana wants him next to him, nobody can stop that. It is not just with Shakuni. Unfortunately, a man like Karna, who is essentially a very straightforward, sincere, honest being of great valor and many great qualities. But in many times he turns out, his advice to Duryodhana turns out meaner and nastier than Shakuni's advice. But his warrior nature takes over and corrects it here and there. But Shakuni is a personal advisor. He just chooses, Duryodhana just chooses him. Nobody can stop that. Many times, Bhishma has a grouse, particularly against 
karna, he hates karna right through, or at least he exhibits it that way and in the end, he admits that was not the truth within himself, but in the interest of the nation, he expresses his constant displeasure about karna and shakuni. But he cannot fix everything, he's only a regent, he's not the king. If he was the king, he would have taken Shakuni's head, but he has no power to give any orders, he can only advise as a regent. He never had any power to order, but he could advise. Advice could be valued by people who respect him. People who do not respect him will not value the advice, it's as simple as that. So today our mission is to establish a higher level of consciousness. But in the Mahabharata, it was to establish Dharma. Uh, Why do you know why the difference? Thank you. <clears throat> the mission that Krishna consciously takes on is, he wants to marry the spiritual process with the political system of the day. This is something probably most people wouldn't have heard of the beautiful rendition of the dance today about Krishna. The moment you talk about Krishna, you talk about his playfulness, his love, his mischief and beautiful things like this, romantic things like this. But that was only the first sixteen years of his life. Not that after that he was not playful, not that he was not beautiful, loving, whatever, he was all those things, but he went at the purpose of his life with zeal and without a moment's break and rest. One thing that most people would not have heard of is, Krishna established over one thousand ashrams across the northern plains of India in every kingdom. One thousand ashrams. We haven't done that much, just one and one more, okay? He's never known for this, unfortunately, because people think the spiritual teaching is just in the Gita. When he came to the battlefield, the song of wisdom that he spoke is not all spiritual. It is politico-spiritual, if there is such a term. <laughs> he is talking more about Kshatriya Dharma, about how being a warrior, he cannot go back on the hopes that people have put in him. So, he established Dharma in the way he could. and. In many ways, his effort to marry the spiritual process with the political system did not work. Even today, the only way spiritual process and spirituality as a culture and as a possibility can touch every human being only if the… if the political administrations of many nations turn spiritual, only then. Otherwise, spirituality will always remain a fringe. 
if the presidents and the prime ministers and the ministers and the members of the parliament and these kind of people all turn spiritual, can you imagine? But it's possible because every five years we can replace them, you know? <laughs> every five years we can change the men, so it's possible. Making the king spiritual was a much bigger challenge than making the democratic administration spiritual because who knows one of you could get elected. Do I see a president? <laughs> because to make the king spiritual was a much more difficult thing because if Duryodhana is ruling for the next forty years or fifty years, you give up your mission to understand. <laughs> it doesn't matter who is ruling today, you can still continue your mission because 2014 in India, everything could change. Wherever, whichever country, I'm just saying for example. At the next election, you could have a sage sitting there, the possibility is there. Only thing is, you have to create enough sages in the world that they may get elected. A sage who is willing enough to get elected. <laughs> sage who has necessary guile to get elected. Not a sage who will sit in a mountain cave, a sage who can remain a sage even in a marketplace, that kind of a sage and he can get elected. So, we cannot give up the mission. You had mentioned that Karna is uh, a warrior par excellence. <laughs> That's what Vyasa says, I didn't see him <laughs> And he had the ability to even defeat Arjuna and also the ability to kill Krishna. That's what Krishna says. Yes. <laughs> no, because I am being accused of these things, I'm… <laughs> but nowhere in the whole epic, does he win any battle? Either is it with the Gandharvas who tie him up, and or with uh, when he fights for the Virat uh, kingdom, Arjuna defeats him. And nowhere in the epic does he have any battle worthwhile saying that he won it. Why is it so? Is it because he is the wrong person at the wrong time, or because he sided with Duryodhana and nowhere did he find luck favoring him? He's neither grace with him nor luck with him. Right from his birth. Luck is one thing which never was with him and he did not choose grace. He chose arrogance as his friend. Arrogance reached out to him and because of his own terrible longing to be a somebody before life matures for him, he made wrong alliances out of which he could not step out. Because people are in too much of hurry. It's like you're a teenager, you saw somebody in your high school, right there you thought this is the best choice and you got married when you were eighteen. Most probably you'll regret after a few years <laughs> because you're too much of a rush. You're not allowing life to 
Many of the choices you made at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, fortunately for most of you those things have fallen off. If they stayed with you, you would deeply regret today. Yes or no? So, karna is like this. Somebody offered him a hand because he's so desperate, you took it. And after that, there is no turning back. He did not choose to have grace as his company. He chose to have arrogance as his company. For this, all his talent went waste. In your life, this is the truth always. Whatever you are, whatever capability you are, will be crippled in your life, will never find fruit if arrogance is the company of competence. If grace is the company of competence, this will explode into a different dimension. This will become much larger than who you are. Who… who you are will become way larger than who you actually you are. You yourself will wonder, why am I so big? That's how life should be. That means you're living well, <coughs> you know. This… Uh, this happened to me many times. Initially, a couple of times I was really fooled by this. <clears throat> I'm wandering in the forest alone by myself, Karnataka, not Tamil Nadu, largely. So generally almost four months of the year, it's misty. There's mist in the air, in the night air, early morning air. Then I'm walking in the forest, suddenly I see a huge fire, like a forest fire burning far away. So I want to see this, I go running, 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 I want to go there before it gets off. I want to see forest fire close up, such a great spectacle is happening, I don't want to miss it. Then I run, run, run three, four, five kilometers, go there and see in front of a little hut, two men are sitting with one little fire <laughs> and these millions of particles of mist multiplies it like a mountain of fire. And I run there, woof, oh my god, such a large, small fire, it is like all over, the whole sky is lit up. Your life should become like this. If the mist of grace falls upon you, this is how it will become. You're a little fire, but you will rage like a big fire. But you must never forget that you're a little fire.